Our scripture lesson today comes from the Old Testament, actually from the Torah, from the first five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's where we'll be looking at today. And this is a party. This is a big festival, actually, um, uh, how people come and celebrate the goodness of God. Let's share in God's good word together. What does the Lord your God ask of you? Only this, to revere the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, by loving him, by serving the Lord your God with all your heart and being, and by keeping the Lord's commandments and his regulations that I'm commanding you right now. It's for your own good. But you are about to cross the Jordan River and will settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. Then he will give you rest from all your enemies on every side so that you live safely and securely. At that point, you must bring all that I am commanding you, your entirely burned offerings, your sacrifices, your tenth part gifts, your contributions, and all your best payments that you solemnly promised to the Lord, to the location the Lord your God selects for his name to reside. Then you will rejoice in the Lord your God's presence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. The tithe is meant to bless you. Did you know that? All of God's commands are meant to bless you. The tithe is meant to bless you. I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, no, no, no. That's just what preachers say to get your money. No, no, I don't believe it. But the tithe, all of God's commands are meant to bless you. If you have somebody that sits next to you, look at them and say, the tithe is meant to bless you. Tell them. Tithe is meant to bless you. And if you don't have anybody by you, just know the tithe is meant to bless you. Right? You're meant to be blessed. Now, in the same way that all of God's laws and even man-made laws are meant to be a blessing to you or the community. Um, in the early service, uh, we talked about very briefly that um, school zones are slow for a reason. And, and you may be annoyed by it, but if you have ever met someone, as I have, who's actually killed somebody with their vehicle, you'll know that their entire life changed that day. You see, it might feel like, oh, well, you're limiting me. But friends, every law that's there is meant to bless you or the greater community. It's meant to be a blessing to you. And the tithe, while on the face of it, you might think, well, there's less around. It is meant to be a blessing to you. It's meant to draw you into a new way of life. But, but you, you can't really understand this or begin to live into it unless we get back to what we were at last week, which is what do you really think about God? The most important thing about you is what you think about God. And all of its associated images. So let me ask you these questions. Is God loving? Oh, we got to do better than this this morning. Is God loving? Yes. Can God be trusted? Yes. Is God generous? Yes. Let's live like it. Right? Then we live like it. We step into that. But if you don't really believe that God is loving, if you don't really believe that God is good, if you don't believe that God can be trusted, if you don't believe that God is generous, then this tithing thing doesn't make any sense. It's really hard to step into it unless you get that piece right. It's not until you become convinced of these three questions that the rest of life begins to open up. Because everything that happens in your life hinges on what you understand to be your relationship with the God of the universe. Can you trust him? Is God loving? Is God generous? The most important thing about us is our idea about God and all of its associated images. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. And last week, we looked at this, but we, we had to look uh, because there's not just one kingdom, right? There are multiple kingdoms. And, and the kingdom that often gets uh, really in conflict with the kingdom of God is the kingdom of self, of me, myself, and I. What do I want to do with my life? 
And, and oftentimes, uh, pastors, myself included, we can have this temptation of where we, we talk about the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God like this. But that's not how it's intended at all. The kingdom of God is to overlay, cover, supervise, have supervision, see beyond what we can see, and we sit right underneath it. Matthew 6 puts it like this. If you seek first the kingdom of God and God's rightness, righteousness, goodness, everything else will be added to you. You don't have to worry about anything else if God is first and you come right up underneath it. There's nothing wrong with, with us being second. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Uh, I will take uh, exception to Talladega Nights. Uh, when God is first, you're not the first loser. You have everything you need. You have everything you need. But it does fly in the face of our culture. You see, this is to be power steering. We, God does God's part and we do our part. We go with God. We, as my friend Kirby John Colwell puts it uh, down in Houston, he says we need God super on our natural. Makes things supernatural. That's what we want. To where we're partnering with God. The kingdom of self and the kingdom of God, they are to work together. And to choose well and to resist the pull of self, we must make a what, friends? A plan. Right? If you want to resist the pull, you have to make a plan. You have to make a plan. Uh, and this is just how we are. Because our will is weak. Because our will can only choose from the choices that surround it. And many of you all know this. I love the story about the guy who was on a diet, and he prayed to God. He said, God, if you really want to allow me to have a donut today, there's going to be a parking spot right in front of the donut shop this Saturday morning. And you know, on the 15th time around, there was. It was just right there. He pulled right in. That's how it is. Our will is weak, so we need good choices around us. And the better choices that we make over time, the better our will can choose because it can choose from the good. And this is so important, friends, because we become like the God we worship. You understand this? If, if your God is generous, then you can be generous. If your God is stingy, then you feel like you need to be stingy. If your God is faithful, then you too can be faithful. If your God is chaotic, then oftentimes your life will be in chaos. We begin to look like the God we worship. Uh, I had a friend of mine, I, uh, as you know, I was traveling a couple weeks ago, um, and we were catching up, and I was introducing myself to people, and they said, do you have a dog? I said, yeah, I've got Peanut. He's a schnoodle. He's awesome. He's kind of neurotic, but super friendly, really, really friendly. And they go, oh, so he's like you. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess. You see, the thing is that we become like the God we worship. Did you ever notice that owners look like the dogs they walk? Right? So me and Peanut, we're getting to look like each other these days. Right? We look like the dogs that we walk. We, we have these things in common. And we become like the God we worship. So it's really important, the God that you and I worship. And so as we begin to look at the tithe and what God has as a covered promise, a blessing for us, we have to first realize that this is not about a guilt trip. Right? It's not a guilt trip. Not at all. But it's an invitation to a new way of life. A life of peace and of joy and of patience and of kindness. All these sorts of wonderful things begin with our right understanding of God. It's not a guilt trip. Now, you, you may say, well, you know, people will move if you really like guilt them. Yeah, for a couple of days and maybe even a week or two. But it doesn't get you there. It doesn't change your life. Guilt does not change your life. It, it, it's only there for a little bit. It, it has little, little pieces. Now, what does change your life is a, re, a life relationship with Jesus. A loving relationship with Jesus. You do things when you're in love that you don't do any other time. And you all can remember that, particularly if you were courting. You look back to those courting days. You do things in that season that you would never do at any other time. You, your love demands it. It pulls you into it. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And so this life, this interactive relationship with Jesus uh, is marked 
uh, Paul says and to the church in Galatia like this. He says, this life looks like this, this with God life. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. Kindness. Generosity. Say that with me. Generosity. Other translations say that is goodness. See, the Greek can either be generosity or goodness because it's the same thing. Generosity and goodness and self-control. So I want you to think back yesterday to when you were watching your football games. Is that, that what it was? Right? You thought, oh, this person is a person of joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, we become like the God we worship. And this is the God that we worship. And so these are the questions. If, somebody, if you were to walk through a room, would somebody say, yep, that person looks a lot like Jesus. They're so kind. They're so good. They're so much at peace. And, and I would submit to you that even patience is a kind of generosity. It's a generosity of time. It's a generosity of thought. It's a generosity of possibility. You see, this life is possible when God's kingdom orders our thoughts and our actions. What, what are the two important words there? Thoughts and actions. Because here's, here's the thing, friends. Your will can only choose from your thoughts. And your thoughts become your actions. You see, you, you can think your way into a new way of acting. And if you act that way long enough, you can actually begin to change your thinking. But make no mistake about it. It's our thoughts that then later wind up to be our action. That's why advertising is so powerful. There's a reason that people spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on advertising because if they can get you to think about it, they can get you to act on it just down the road. And so the trick is, uh, Dallas Willard says, is we have to get our thoughts on or off the conveyor belt. If it's a thought that you want to act on, then you got to get it on the conveyor belt, right? And as it gets closer and closer and closer, then it comes to you. If you don't want it, you can't get it on the conveyor belt, right? Because if you've ever had something that you didn't really intend to buy, maybe you all have been shopping with a teenager, you're shopping, then all of a sudden there are just things on the conveyor belt you had no idea that were going to be there. But then the person was like, they look at you like, did you really want to buy this? And you're like, how did that get in my cart? And what do you say when, when they say, do you want this? You're like, I guess I do. And, and you, you buy it. I mean, that happens to a lot of us. And the same thing is true with our spiritual formation. All of us are formed spiritually one way or the other. Every single person in the room, we're all formed. And it's by our thoughts that then become our actions. And one of those thoughts that we can either invite into our life or repel is generosity. And generosity is the virtue of giving what kind of things? Good things to others freely and abundantly. And, and it's really important that we get this right. Jesus says, do unto others as you would what? Have them do unto you. So particularly when it comes to generosity, let's say you're going to throw a, a party for somebody who's in need. You would want to throw that party at the same or higher level than the last party you attended that you loved. Right? When we do a food drive, we want to collect food that people would want to eat. This used to always drive me crazy when I was in Boy Scouts. We would do a canned food drive, and we would go house to house, and we would say, hey, would you help you know, feed people that are hungry? And then the, the sorts of things that we would get in our bags, we would have to throw out uh, about 10 or 20% of it because it was either spoiled, uh, expiration date had expired, uh, or it was something crazy like pie filling. Like, how, how are you going to feed people with, you know, pie filling. It just it didn't make any sense. And it became clear that there were some houses that simply cleaned out their house and they were, they were either going to throw it away or put it in your thing. Does it make sense? 
And, that, and they, that's what they gave, their leftovers. It wasn't the good stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't done out of love. It was just done out of sort of a sense of duty. We're like, we have to. Or sometimes you would come by a home and you would receive food that really you would love to eat. And you could tell the person's heart by their actions. That You see, our thoughts become our actions and we become like the God that we worship. But it all starts with our thought life. So I want you to think about what you're thinking about. Think about the images that come to you on Instagram and on Facebook and uh, the things that you read on Twitter and the things that you watch on television and the things that you listen to, what are those things coming to you and how do you choose well from those? It's very important. You see, it's possible, it is very possible by inviting the Holy Spirit to live in us, yet it's not inevitable. So this life is possible, but it's not inevitable. The Holy Spirit can come and empower you to live differently, to participate in the things of God, and to literally change the world, to bring heaven to earth. That's the prayer that we pray each week here uh, with the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to look, though, what Paul's warning is. Paul, Paul tells us in Galatians, to the church in Galatia, yes, you can have the fruit of the Spirit, and it looks like all these things, love, peace, patience, joy, generosity. Yes, you can, but it's not inevitable. He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of what? Slavery. All of us have pieces of our former life before the Lord began to transform it, and that, that will often pull us back. If any of you all have ever loved someone, um, as I have, that has uh, either uh, some sort of substance abuse uh, addiction, you know what this means, right? Paul gives us a warning that this is real life. This is real life. That sometimes it's actually after you make it the 30 days or the 90 days uh, or the year that a sponsor will tell the person that they're sponsoring in a 12-step group, be really careful. When we celebrate tonight about your sobriety for the year or the two-year or the five-year chip, be really careful because a lot of people fall right then. It's actually in the celebration. They go out and party and think, oh, I've got this down. I've been clean and sober for two years. Oh, it's great. They have a drink, and then it's over. And their life is over, and they're right back into it. They, they have submitted again to that yoke of slavery. They, they didn't mean to. They didn't hardly see it coming, but then they're back there. In my early days as a preacher... Um, in some ways, preaching was really easy uh, in my 20s, in my early 30s, because I didn't know much. And so I would say, when at, not at this church, I may have said it at this church when we were back at the school, but I can remember saying in the early days of my preaching, um, because I'd heard other preachers say it and I believed it, I've never met a former tither. I used to say that. Some of you may have heard me say that. I've never met somebody who used to tithe. Uh, and that was true, uh, because most of the people that I knew that tithe were really old. And then they died, and that was it. Um, but over time, over 20 years of doing this now, um, Paul gives us a good warning. There are good and well-meaning people who used to tithe, that gave 10-plus percent of their income because their heart was there, they were engaged in what the Lord was doing, and then life just happened. Something came along. They were, they were more interested in something else other than the things of God, and that got their priority. Their money shifted there, and it just happens. It just happens. And so there is this true tug between self and God and what we want and what God wants and God's kingdom and our kingdom and the other kingdoms of the world that demand things from us. It happens. In the book that we've been studying together called Defying Gravity, Tom Berlin calls those black holes. Black holes. You all know black holes. If you go to NASA, um, it looks like this. That's a photo from NASA. Um, I recommend it. It's really good. Right? You know what the little uh, blip is in the middle? A sun. The sun. 
Now, you'll notice where the sun used to be, but now it is getting sucked into the black hole. Because at black holes, not even light can escape. This whole, like our sun, the whole solar system uh, revolves around the sun, but the sun is getting sucked into that black hole. We all have black holes in our spiritual life. We all do, particularly financially. We're doing fine, we're on track, we're, we're going along, and then we have a black hole. I want you to think about what's your black hole. We, we all have them. One of the ones that is really devastating to me, uh, that you know is true, but I don't want to have to say out loud because it's so embarrassing, is Christmas. You, you know this about Christmas? This is supposed to be about Jesus' birthday. And in America, people will spend so much on their credit cards at Christmas that they spend the next 10 to 11 months paying off their last Christmas. And department stores have know this so much about the Christian culture, the Christmas culture in our country, that they now have interest rates somewhere between 28 and 30% on department store credit cards to get you on, on, you know, on the front end to save a little bit of money and then purchase it, and then they know they've got you and they're going to pay 30% on that credit card all the rest of the year for Christmas. Does this make sense? This is a black hole. Now, fortunately, um, and, well, I say fortunately, I don't know my family loves it, Christmas is not my black hole. I'm, I'm good about that. I'm really clear that it's Jesus' birthday. We do something for Jesus, uh, and you know, we invite you to be a part of the mission offering. It, it changes the world. That's a really good one. But I don't know. Maybe you've got this one because this is bad for me. The once-in-a-lifetime family vacation. That one sneaks up on me every time. Because we're going to go be with my mom and dad or my sister or Chantel's family. We're going to go do this thing, right? And we have a set amount of money and we set it aside and we're going to spend this amount of money on the vacation and by day three, it's gone. But you got to get home, right? You got, I mean, you, you, got to, you got to get home. And before I know it, I have more than spent my budgeted allotment for the vacation. Does this happen to any of you all? And then if I'm really not careful, I'll take a second vacation somewhere because somebody asked me to. And then I'm like, oh, no. And does this make sense? So, so if you're not careful, you can lose money that you didn't plan on spending and, and your trajectory of your life over a black hole. Um, this is not ours, but I know good, well-meaning friends. Um, and I won't spend a lot of time here, so don't get nervous. Uh, but every time they go out and it involves alcohol, they spend a lot more money than they thought they would. It's just gone. They, they lose 10, 20% of their income to alcohol. They never saw it coming. Uh, they were just going to have a drink or two out, and next thing you know, they get the tab for all their friends, and they're in a hurt. It happens. We all have it. What's your black hole? Think about that. You see, in order to pull out of that black hole, we need to allow and depend on the resurrection of Jesus to pull us free from that, to say, God, I can't. I can't do this on my own. Uh, I depend on you. I depend on your resurrection. I need you to pull me out of this and redirect my life to where it's in line with yours. And with Jesus at the center, our prayers change from receiving prayers of help me, heal me, uh, you know, I need more money for this, or I need my son or my daughter to act this way or to do this or to do that. And, and we have all these receive prayers. I mean, don't you have receive prayers when you pray? And, and those aren't bad. And if you're a first-time guest here and you're here today because you need something from God, that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with starting there. Absolutely fine. We all need things from God. However, in an interactive relationship with God, God also has some things um, that we can help God with, that we can participate with God in, okay? And so I want you to think about your own particular ratio. How many times when you pray, like if you prayed this morning, you prayed last night, when you prayed, how many of those would fall in the, hey, God, I need this from you column? 
right? So you put that there in the left-hand side. But there are also prayers that you might say, okay, God, direct me. Help me. Who is it in my neighborhood that you want me to reach out to that doesn't yet know you? How do you want me to help feed the hungry uh, at my kid's school? How do you want me to comfort that person that I know is grieving this morning? How do you want me to engage uh, with the family that has worn slick over mental illness because they never seem to get a break? Lord, how do you want me to step into the homeless situation knowing that we're just weeks away from freezing temperatures? Lord, how do, how do you, what do you want from me around, or how could I be a help uh, to the incredible prison population in Oklahoma? It, does it make sense? So what's your ratio? Is it one to one? Is it 28 to zero? I mean, what is it? How, how is it in your life? Because as we grow in maturity, we want that ratio to get closer. To say, yes, Lord, I, of course I need these things from you, but I also want to be a part of what you're doing. A part of what you're doing. And, and when we step into that kind of prayer life, when we step into wanting to be a part of what God is doing, it changes everything. Miss Margaret could have been my Granny Dot down in Dothan, Alabama. Granny Dot was a fourth grade teacher. My grandfather on my mom's side died before I was born. She basically took care of the family um, and the grandkids, um, both my mom and her sister, uh, and always did great by us, took care of herself. Uh, was the Sunday school superintendent at Lafayette Street United Methodist Church in Dothan, Alabama. Never missed a Sunday. Required me to be in Sunday school while we were on vacation. It was so awkward. Uh, showing up at Granny's church. But it was one of those things that that got passed on to my mom. And, and, and my dad, uh, as a pastor, uh, we lived that way. Uh, we gave God 10% first, and we lived on the rest. And it was hard. But we did it. We felt great about that. And, and the thing that I didn't know until I was an adult was that up until the time I was about 10 years of age, my parents, with two master's degrees, were available for food stamps on what they were paid by their churches. We, Dad served largely in small churches around the state. Now, of course, as United Methodist pastor of, of the church in town, you could never take the food stamps because that would be demeaning to the church. You could never let that out. So not only did we uh, you know, make, not make enough money to where we, had, you know, we were actually available for food stamps, you couldn't take them. So about this time of year, what would happen is we would get phone calls. Mom would get a phone call uh, from a member of the church, and they would say, Carol, uh, we've got some extra potatoes in the ground, or we've got some extra cucumbers that we're not going to, they're just going to go to waste. We've got extra tomatoes or okra or whatever, you know, it's the end of the growing season, and you're welcome to come dig them if you want. And so we would. My sister and I, my mom, we'd go to people in the church's gardens, and we would, we would cut okra and, and cucumbers and tomatoes and dig potatoes and carrots, and, and we would take those home. And we'd wash them up, and then mom would start... Um, the pressure cooker, and y'all, some of you know this, it's a can. These are the And I would go to sleep with that little most nights between August and whenever the first freeze would come. And mom would be saving all of that food to can it, to put it up for us to eat through the winter. Because it was going to be tight. It was going to be hard. But we were going to do it. But we did it. And we would feel really good about that. And there would be mission offerings that would come by. And we would give to that. And I watched my parents model faithfully what it was to participate in the kingdom of God. It wasn't just what they could get from God. But they wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And they modeled that for me. And it was a beautiful and wonderful thing. Now, I will also tell you flat out that as a five-year-old, I did not like eating stewed tomatoes and okra ugh, that had been canned. And the liver because we were at the end of the beef. 
Y'all ever do that? When you actually bought a beef or a side of beef, and all that was left at the end of the time before you could afford the next one was liver and tongue and, and the pieces that, you know, you just did not want to eat, but that's what you had left to eat, and so we would eat it. And mom would put like four bags of ketchup on it and gravy and whatever, and I would, you know, chew on it as long as I could, run to the bathroom, flush it down the toilet. I'm not sure she knows, but they're not here today, so I can say it. Um, and and we, we would live that out, okay? Now, I never felt poor. I never felt outside. I never felt harmed by that experience. It was hard, but we did it. You see, Tom Berlin says it like this. He says, there's a difference between wanting to be a beneficiary of God's kingdom and wanting to participate in its expansion. That's where spiritual uh, maturity comes from, is where we begin to make our heart like God's heart. Rather than saying, okay, God, what are you going to do for me today? We, we start, begin to say, okay, God, what are we going to do together today? Lord, what do you want to do? Help me join you there. And Jesus commands our entrance ways to new life. Right? They're not burdens that you have to put up with. They are entrance ways to new life, to know that God will take care of you, that God will get you to that next season. And that's what the early church did. The early church, after Acts 2, the name where we come from, the early church wanted to do what God was doing. They wanted to participate in, in the changes that God was making in the world. And so from verses 44 to 47, it says this. The people of Acts 2, they believed they were together. They had all things in common. And they would sell their stuff. They had lots of stuff. They would sell their stuff, their goods, and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And so nobody was in need anymore. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, because that's where God was, they broke bread at home. God was there too. And they ate their food with glad and generous hearts. It wasn't a begrudging, hard, terrible thing. They were glad and generous. And they praised God. They had the goodwill of all the people, not just Christians, not just Jews, all the people, because they were participating in the very transformation of the world. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved in process of becoming more and more like the God they worshipped, a God of generosity and goodness and kindness. You see, they understood themselves not as owners, but as stewards. A steward is someone who manages another's property or financial affairs. And, and this is a huge responsibility. We are stewards of the Lord's earth. We are stewards of everything the Lord gives us. And particularly as a church, we're stewards of every dime that comes into this place. That we manage it well for the benefit of the world, not just ourselves. And so what that looks like for, for us is when you, when you sit down and you watch the news at night. And you see that there are tens of thousands of people drowning in the ocean. You can sit back and go, you know what? That's horrible, but we're doing something about it. Your church, because of what was given last Christmas, we've given $25,000 to the Migrant Offshore Aid Station. We know that we are literally saving people's lives, plucking them out of the sea, and saving their life, and getting them back to safety um, by, this, by this group. Now, here's the thing that we had to think clearly about. It's not Methodist. It's not a Methodist group. It's a group that's doing the will of God. Saving the least among us, those who are in need. And so we partner with people that are changing the world, that are making a difference. Real differences, life and death differences in the world. And here's the thing, friends. You are a steward of the gift of your entire life. It's much bigger than money. I mean, if you think this is just about, uh, you know, a percentage of your financial group, then you're missing the whole thing. This is about every bit of you. About are you going to submit your life, yourself, your kingdom of self to the kingdom of God? For the transformation of the world. Because you are a steward. I'm a steward of the gift of your entire life. With your unique strengths and talents and abilities and resources for God. You are here because only you can do what you can do. 
And, qu- and quite frankly, uh, many of you can do lots and lots of things, wonderful things in the kingdom of God. Tom Berlin puts it like this. He says, many people think that they are not financially generous because they lack resources. That's to miss it altogether. In fact, though the issue isn't wealth, it's not. It's about identity. About who is God, who are we? If we see ourselves as stewards, a pass-through account, we understand that we are custodians, not owners of our possessions. Because, friends, as soon as you think that you own your possessions, you're one step closer to your possessions owning you. And we want to be free of that. We want to manage our money and assets with the thought of pleasing the true owner, God. So when we make a purchase, when we spend money, we, we want to ask the question, does this honor God? And, and particularly in the church, and this is true for all of our lives, it's good to do good, but it's better to do good well. And so we have a group here that all they do is manage the mission funds. That, that's their entire job, is to manage those mission funds. And one of the first questions we have, if somebody comes and says, hey, I want us to look at helping this group, we ask, can we be a catalyst in this? What other money is available in the community to help with that? And so we try to never give money where we just give it away and then that's it. We try to say to ourselves, okay, what other people in the community can this be leveraged in order to make a greater impact for the community of God, the kingdom of God? And so we have uh, work with the YMCA that has lots and lots of donors. We have MOS, MOAS, Migrant Offshore Aid Station, lots and lots of other donors. Uh, we're helping put together a food pantry for a local school, and, and we're inviting them to match dollar for dollar what we give so that it has a greater impact for the hungry kids right here in Edmond. You see, tithing is about giving God the first tenth of our income. That's what that's about. And then leveraging that for the greatest impact for the kingdom. But it's all about that first tenth. Because if you try to do it later, it's just not there. It's not there. It's that first thing. And again, it's back to Matthew 6. That if you seek God's kingdom first, everything else fits into place. It fits into place. And you might be saying to yourself, well, how do I, how do, I do that? How do I give first? We've made it super easy for you. All you got to do is go to our website. You go up to the top where it says give online. You click that button. And it takes you to this page. And you put in when you want to give. How much you want to give. Uh, how frequently you want to give, uh, or if you need to change it or stop it. You can do that anytime, um, any day, 24-7. And so you don't, you don't even need our help to do that. You simply are in control of what you give, how you give, and you can make sure that it comes out first. And, and it might be hard. It might be hard. But you can do it. We can do it together. And it's about our entire life, giving our first and best to God. Because we want to multiply the good we do for the greatest impact. And so we give God that first tenth of our income. Um, And the tithe in the Bible, though, so we don't forget it, is for our sake. Not because God needs it. Okay? It's for you. It's meant to bless you. It's meant to free you. And the tithe allows us to honor God in the present and trust God for the future. It also allows us to trust God in the now as well. And so as our action step, friends, I want to invite you to think about these two things. What can be done with what God has given me? What can God do? That's a, that's a good question. What can God do? Anything. Think what God could do with you. And then let's make it a little more personal. What is God calling me to give? And again, that's not just in terms of to the church. What is God calling you to give with your unique abilities, talents, life experience, family situation, season of life that you're in? What is God calling you to do? Because it's good and it's meant to bless you and it's meant to help you. But friends, let's, let's bring it full circle because this is really important. Is God good? Is God loving? Is God generous? Then we can live like it. But it all goes back to what we think 
about God.